Hello everybody, Adam Parks here with another episode of Receivables Roundtable. Today I'm here with my new friend, Mr. Clint Dawood, the CEO of Unifin. How are you doing today, Clint? Hey Adam, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Look, I, I think you guys are doing some really interesting things and I've really enjoyed an opportunity to get to know you recently. Um, but for anybody who hasn't been as lucky as me, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got to the seat that you're in today? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, started in the debt collection world back in 2003 uh, with Aero Financial Services. So I was a debt collector there. That's how I started my uh, career there and uh, went off to after the whole Aero thing, which uh, basically sold off to Sally Mae, ended up at Van Roo Credit Corporation, where my partner now and I and another third partner that we had at the time basically decided that, uh, you know, I think we could do debt collection a little bit better. <laughs> so uh, we understood it. We were top collectors. I think most collectors actually think that when they're in the seat, it's just a whole <laughs> different world once you actually get over to doing it and running the business. Um, but yeah, it was at a Christmas party. It sounded like a really good idea. And we came up with a plan and um, cut our teeth as a subcontractor working defaulted student loans uh, on the federal student aid side. Um, 2015 started servicing some debt buyers and creditors because we had that background from Arrow and understood how to do that. Uh, 2019 launched the BPO, uh, which really is customer care and back office. So mm. kind of working that whole full circle and leading up to where we are today. Um, so co-founder, CEO, um, and I've been in this role 12 years now. So it's cool. Wow. So, and, and Unifin is an interesting organization, right? Like you touched on a couple of those things, the BPO piece that you're doing some debt buyer work that you have the student loan experience, right? Like that is a, a pretty well-rounded organization, but give us the, give us the quick pitch. Like, tell me a little bit about Unifin and what it is that you guys do there. Yeah. Um, full outsourcing, uh, agency, we have dedicated offshore sites. So first we have our U.S. site, which is just um, outside of Chicago in Niles, Illinois. It's actually the old Aero Financial building on Tui. So 5996 West Tui Avenue. Um, so we have a large facility there uh, and, you know, uh, ended up in 2015, decided we were going to start doing things offshore too, just having that component. We started in the Philippines. Uh, since then, we've launched Guatemala. We're also in Egypt. Uh, which kind of gives us a little bit of everything, gives us that bilingual Spanish out of Guatemala. We have uh, some Chinese and uh, Tagalog speakers in the Philippines, obviously, that's their, that's their language. And then Egypt gives us that uh, Arab-speaking uh, Middle Eastern uh, kind of flair. So mm -hmm. um, that's how we ended up do basically just having that full um, regional presence. But I think what's been really cool and what we've been doing um, is really trying to lead the digital front in collections. Um, it's been a priority of mine. Back in 2018, we developed our own negotiation platform. Um, since then, it's really launched into its own little animal, um, basically communicating with consumers. It's specifically built for po post charge off debt. Um, and just now with the advent of RegF and giving you know some more clarity as to communication methods, emails, texts, and just having that digital strategy, trying to basically drive consumers to that portal, which also has a chat feature and allowing consumers self-service, not just self-service from making payments, but also self-service from a debt negotiation and being able to resolve their debt. So that's that's been an interesting thing. And we're seeing that uh, I'd say about 65%, little over 65% of the collections that we have, we're driving uh, into some sort of inbound channel, whether it's through our you offer, our chat, or the phone calls that we're driving in which is something that I think 
10 years ago or even five years ago, it just wasn't possible, right? I mean, 80% of what we were doing was outbound. So um, that number continues to drive up and, and, you know, continue to go higher. So it's interesting. It sounds like you guys are creating that two-way communication methodology, right? And I think a lot of organizations have gone down the path of, of trying to institute the technology or to build their organization around um, the technology that they've either developed themselves or partnered with. Um, but I think it comes with some some challenges, right? And, and becoming a, a, our industry kind of falls in this weird gray area between banking and, you know, and kind of the unknown, right? And so you've done a couple of these different pieces with the neo banking and some of the other, um, you know, facets of your organization. But, you know, what, as we were preparing for this call, we, we kind of threw around the word neo-agency, right? And I think a lot of us have seen these neo-banks that have been created over the last, let's call it, five years, right? Banks with no really physical infrastructure. They live in a digital world, right? Like they're not brick and mortar. And yep. although I don't think you can ever really do that with a collection agency, right? Like the regulations just ultimately don't allow for that. You still have to maintain a physical presence. Finding that perfect balance between the traditional and those digital or technology driven methods has got to be an interesting challenge that you're continuing to face across the industry. How, how are you addressing that balance of being kind of like a neo agency with all of this digital and, you know, overseas presence, right? But also finding that balance of still maintaining the brick and mortar necessary to meet the requirements of both the clients and the regulators? Definitely has been an interesting journey. Um, so first off, I want to say that you coined that term neo-agency, and I just absolutely love it. That's that's a fantastic uh, term, I think, for what's happening right now in our industry. Um, I would say from a balance standpoint, um, you know, with a lot of the technology out there today, uh, and, and when we talk about balance, we're talking about how do you immerse your individuals culturally, mm -hmm. right? How do you allow them to be able to uh, be able, you know, how do you, how do you manage them and how do you execute from a regulatory standpoint? And then I think number three, how do you ensure that there's productivity and efficiency that's occurring in the background? And all three of these things, I feel like need to be tackled some way or another at the same time. Um, I think in a post COVID world where, a lot of, I mean, mostly everybody pretty much went from a, you know, in center to a work from home or some sort of work from home uh, method. I think quickly realized that trying to get your individuals on board culturally, especially some of the newer hires that came on afterwards has just been somewhat of a nightmare. And I think there's some cool technology out there that some folks are really using to be able to do that. I think there's already legacy technology that's out there that can help uh, do that as well. Um, you know, for us, we've used a multifaceted approach where we use uh, a Teams with an intranet. We have something that we've built internally called uPortal, which allows um, our back office individuals as well as our collectors to be able to engage with one another, um, you know, in conjunction with Teams. Um, that kind of helps create a cultural uh, fit. I would say that it's still really important. We still have uh, what we call rewards and recognitions. We do that monthly with our with our uh, with our employees. We also do quarterly um, get-togethers. We try to do that as much as we can. Uh, we just had one for one of our divisions actually last week, which was a success and it was pretty cool. Um, 
you know, whoever can make it out, they come out and they do that. So mm-hmm. from a cultural standpoint, it's really important to be able to tackle that. Um, number two, regulatory, ensuring that we're doing it all within the regulatory boundaries of not just, you know, federal, but also state, right? Mm-hmm. I think Nevada right now is kicking around some questions about, um, you know, the work from home setting. Um, and a lot of agencies are looking at that and either chiming in and being able to give their opinion um, on that with the state. And other states are following suit, right? Because that is a reality now. I mean, a lot of states... Um, for the longest, wanted to know who your collectors are, where are they sitting, what are they doing, who's your agency manager, where is he sitting or she's sitting, you know, so on and so forth. So that's something that I feel like it's, you know, it's always regulation and, you know, always kind of follows what's happening. So I think we're getting there and it's it's impressive because it's only 2023, but we're only two years out from this whole, you know, three years out, call it, from the whole COVID work from home. And I feel like states are really trying to pick up uh, where agencies are today. Um, and then the third thing is obviously ensuring productivity and efficiency is, is, is being met, um, and staffing, right. I like to throw that in there. I like to do things in three. Um, and that really is for us, the way we manage that is really just understanding what our objectives and key results are, how we're measuring and tracking KPIs, um, and then having proper reporting to be able to track that. And not just from a, macro month to month, which I think a lot of agencies still do. Um, it's really day to day. I mean, we're, we're really looking at individual performance. And sometimes, I mean, to be fair, from a really micro standpoint, we have real time analysts and supervisors that are managing these things on a minute by minute basis, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, to be able to ensure that that um, productivity is happening, that it's being done efficiently, um, they're performing properly and then you're properly staffed to, you know, right sizing based on the type of debt. And, you know, I know I remember back in the day, it was always like some kind of ratio that we would use. You know, you have 500 accounts to every agent or something mm-hmm. like that. It, I don't think it really works that way anymore. I think depending on how you're actually managing your shop, what you're doing from a digital standpoint, what you're doing from, you know, how your agencies are, uh, excuse me, how your agents are being managed and how you're managing that productivity, performance, efficiency. Um, I think that kind of all boils down to how your staff is going to be. So I, well, I think you bring up a lot of really good points there. I, you know, one of the things that I've found to be interesting is you talk a little bit about kind of the work from home in that balance of the traditional versus the digital collection agencies is ultimately kind of this, um, this differential in how we manage our businesses globally versus a work from home environment. And I know this, this, let me try and clarify this a little bit. Um, but like when we work in a global office, right? Like you have a global office, I have a global office, right? Like we have offices around um, in other countries as well. But I find a lot of that technology and when I'm built to operate cross border, it's a lot easier to function in a work from home environment and provide the same level of support because you're ultimately already going through a lot of these interchangeable pieces or you've migrated key, you know, key tool sets to the cloud, right? Where you're yeah. probably not running a, a physical um you know, phone system anymore, you're running some sort of a digital phone system, the IVRs, everything ultimately is in the cloud. And if everything's going to be in the cloud, and if everything's, you know, in that way, connecting between offices and connecting to work from home, ends up being somewhat similar. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great point, actually. And it's a, it's an interesting point, in the sense that when, when, when COVID happened, so we were already built for this, Mm -hmm. because of our (laughs) Um, offshore presence and our dedicated um, mm-hmm. sites that we had, and you're exactly hitting it um, on the nose here. Um, 
technology wise, we were set up for it. Um, you know, there was a few, uh, logistical pieces we had to figure out, obviously sure. getting people their computers or their laptops and sending them off to the house and then setting up those VPNs from their home because we weren't doing it from home. We were doing it from the center, but because we had that already set up, but you had an infrastructure. Um, there was an infrastructure that was already built. We had a foundation and a backbone that was already built. We ended up landing a really large client on the, that's what kind of the trajectory on the BPO side, that's what helped us grow. There was a, a large client of ours that we still service today that had a massive need because the big boys weren't prepared for that. They weren't nimble enough. So we ended up getting an, uh, an app bat where they needed 500 agents to be stood up in like six weeks. Yeah, they needed it right away because if you remember, I mean, you had call wait times, calling queues that were lasting up to a day, 24 hours in some cases, and they were just backed up. And you know, I don't want to name names, but it was literally the top three largest BPOs that you could think of were not prepared for this. So all of a sudden, this company went from 2,500 full-time customer care back office agents to almost zero because places like, in this case, the Philippines, literally shut down. You couldn't move. Mm -hmm. So people couldn't make it to work anymore. So they had to figure something out quickly. And we were able to stand up that solution for them. I, I, I kid you not, we did it in under four weeks. We hired 500 people, got them trained, got them set up, and were able to help them reduce down. After about four weeks, I think their calling queues got reduced down to somewhere in the two-hour range. Um, it's an amazing case study that I, I probably have to write on one day. It's just because the nimbleness and the preparedness of being able to do that. And I, I think you're, I never really thought of it from that standpoint. A lot of it had to do with the fact that regional we were already set up or, or geographically we were already set up. So that transition to work from home was much, much easier for us than a lot of other companies were able to set up. And well, I think we're always prepared for, you know, something that's locally, right? Like I'm in South Florida. I expect to have a hurricane once a year. Right? Like that's just kind of the process that I've learned to expect through my time living down here. But I've got people everywhere and overseas and a hurricane's not going to hit here, Cleveland and India in the same day. Right. Like I'm, yeah. I'm not going to have that kind yeah. of a challenge. But because we're set up in that remote environment, it kind of put us in a unique position to be able to react and respond. But that is the level of flexibility in the, the nimble nature of kind of a neo agency. Right. The ability to have that interconnected connected web of technology that exists not necessarily just on a physical server somewhere, right? Like it's actually a living, breathing part of your global organization. Yeah. And I think it changes the perspective quite significantly if, if we kind of look at things from that perspective. So, you know, from my, from my side, like I, it always being global is, you know, it always sounds like fun until you have to take the challenges of running an operation that crosses so many different borders. And, and what does that ultimately mean? And how do you explain that to the client? And how do you engage them? Now, living in this kind of new agency world as you do, what do you think is, is kind of the biggest challenge that you're seeing across the space as people are trying to deploy a digital strategy, right? For those that lived in that, I mean, we could always talk about those that start started in the technology side and are starting to find their way over traditional collections. But I'm more interested, right? I feel like there's a bigger movement of those traditional organizations that are trying to find ways to deploy digital, but they're tripping over certain things. Yeah. You know, what are you seeing or, or kind of some of those tripping points? Um, so I, I, I mentioned this on a webinar recently. I think it was last week, if I'm not mistaken. But um, I think that, and, and I'm just 
talking from experience, right? I don't, I don't have a tech background. I'm not a developer by any, by any means. I have an idea. I understand the processes really well. I know what I wanted. I think engaging with the right consultant or hiring the right individual that can come in and navigate uh, and help you navigate through that, um, you know, what we consider, you know, people that are, I mean, I don't know how technological, technologically savvy you are, but, you know, like there's some things that you, you kind of, depending on how you conceptualize it and what your ideas are, you, for me, it was, I want to do this, this and that. Mm -hmm. And I just figure in my mind, it could be done. So I engaged the right people and they were able to kind of put it together and, you know, the way I uh, visualize it and we're continuously working on it and perfecting it and making it better. Mm -hmm. I think that's where a lot of owners and CEOs and managers in our space may, might be getting tripped up. I think that they're looking at it as a Mount Kilimanjaro versus it's just a hill mm -hmm. um, and how you're going to actually get over that to be able to get to that digital, um, uh, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, paradise. <laughs> I don't know what you want to call it. But, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, that's the goal and that's the objective. And I think, you know, if I can give some advice is understanding what the objective is that you're trying to accomplish, whether it's, you know, doing something with a back office process, documentation, payments, whatever it is. I think in a world that we live today where we have this advanced, um, you know, uh, RPA that's advanced to AI and it's regenerative AI today and being able to understand that technology is out there. It's just mm -hmm. engaging with the right people and being able to um, explain, right, and articulate exactly what it is that you're doing. And I think that's where, you know, individuals have to sit back and kind of assess what their needs are, mm -hmm. maybe tackling the smaller or the, the, the most needed areas first and then engaging with that consultant or hiring that right person and being able to say, this is what I want to do. And then being, you know, they could help you navigate and be able to get that done. I think that's where um, that's going to be a differentiator, I think, in the next three to five years is where ownership and some of these organizations are going to be able to pull the trigger or they're not. Um, I don't know. I don't want to make a guess and say that if you're not, you know, somewhat digitally um, set up or, or capable that you're going to fall off to the wayside. I don't, I don't want to say that, but mm -hmm. what I would say is as we do have this aging population and you have more millennials and Gen Zers that are coming to, um, you know, in a charge off status and they're ending up in debt collection, it might be their first time engaging. If you think about how they actually, um, that, that loan or that service was provided was some sort of, you know, it was set up digitally, right? They did it online. They, they expect it to be taken care of in some sort, you know, form or fashion online. So being able to get there and being able to meeting the needs of what consumers want and how they want it um, is going to be key. And again, I don't want to say that you're going to be left off to the wayside, but I think there's it's going to be a little bit more challenging um, to get the, the job done three to five years from now if you're not set up. Might even be sooner than that. I'm not I, sure. I, you know, I agree with that. And I think the um, the ability of rolling those things out, if you're looking at developing that tech, put somebody in charge of it, right? Like bring somebody in who knows how to translate business to technology. Yeah. Because that's the, the area for those that are developing their own tool sets where I see, you know, kind of the biggest challenges is as a CEO or as a collection agency owner or whatever the role is, if you're not, if, if you think that you're going to go in there and document everything that needs to be documented in order to truly help the developers understand what it is that you're building, 
Um, you're you're going to find yourself um, with a pile of work that you didn't expect. Uh, and for me, it's always been like that's and that's my role in technology projects is my my role is to understand what the business owner is looking for and be able to translate that to my technology teams. Fortunately for me, my partner on the technology side also has an MBA, so he understands the crazy <laughs> things that I'm shouting out. Right. Yeah. He's got his yeah. MIT and his MBA, which makes it a lot easier for for me yeah. to be able to describe what it is that I need because you can understand the complexities of the business problems that we face as a collections industry, right? Like as an industry, our problems are not generally that simple, right? We, there's a web of regulations and rules. And now I think as we're starting to look at some of the privacy rules and things, uh, you know, that are going to start coming out from a state level now that the federal government is kind of at a standstill to do anything related to a privacy statute, or regulation. So, but before I go down that rabbit hole today, Clint, I feel like that's something we're going to have to come back and discuss another day. Um, for those of for you sure. that are watching, if you have additional questions that you'd like to ask or comments you'd like to make, you can make those in the comments below on LinkedIn and YouTube. And I'm sure Clint and I would be happy to continue to come back and create great content for a great industry. But Clint, I really want to thank you for coming on and chatting with me today. This was great. No, Adam, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I love what you're doing. Um, and I look forward to getting with you personally here soon, maybe having a drink and just hanging out and just talking a little bit more. So absolutely. I very much look forward to that. Um, for those of you that are watching, thank you so much for your time today. And we'll see you all again soon. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Clint. Thank you. Thank you.